0: braves have given you a championship listen to this crowd braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond here's grant mccauley Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. This continues our Braves positional preview series as we get to part four at the Atlanta Braves infield. And we're looking forward to breaking that down for you on this episode of the show. As always, I'm Grant McCauley. I will be joined by my buddy Corey McCartney in just a moment. Before we jump into part four of this five-part series, let me remind you where you can find From the Diamond. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher subscriptions shares ratings reviews all good stuff and all appreciated so keep those coming and be sure you're following along on twitter at from the diamond underscores where you can find the show i'm at grant mccauley g-r-a-n-t-m-c-a-u-l-e-y you can also find Corey at Corey j mccartney on twitter as well on instagram at from the diamond is where you can find the show i am at grant mccauley there as well and everything including this Braves positional preview series and every episode of the show and all the articles and other fun stuff is available for you at fromthediamond.com. All right, so let's dive into this part four of the Braves Positional Preview Series, the podcast edition. And to help me do this again, Corey McCartney is going to join me. He is the author of the book, Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, which of course has a second edition that is out now. Corey, I really appreciate you making some time and look forward to chopping this group up with you.
1: Absolutely, Grant. Ready to dive in again, man.
0: Well we got a lot to dive into we're going to start with the face of the franchise for the Atlanta Braves and that of course is Freddie Freeman celebrating a decade in the Atlanta Braves infield the starting first baseman for the last nine years anyway and a guy that's jumping into his 30s it's a pivotal time in one's career when your 20s are done you've really established who you are and now you kind of reach I don't want to say uncharted territory but this will be a different period of the career for Freddie Freeman. And while I'm not expecting much to change from the kind of numbers he's been putting up, I think, Corey, it's going to be interesting to see what Freddie Freeman becomes, not just in 2020, but going forward as the Braves start to decide about extending him and some of the things that come around Freddie Freeman. It's an interesting season, long story short, for the Braves' first baseman.
1: Yeah, that's the backdrop kind of with him, right? I mean, we're getting near the end of that extension. and But I think, by and large, he's been a kind of Taken for granted uh, level of player, sometimes a quiet superstar and quiet in terms of how much attention he's gotten. I, I think it's starting to change a little bit. The word's gotten out more on him. You know, we've obviously appreciated him on a different level than others have. But I don't know that Freddie Freeman's ever gotten the level of attention that maybe he deserves when you start putting him into that class of player.
0: Yeah, a little bit underrated when it comes to where his place in baseball is. But for a guy that has given Atlanta what he has, I think Braves fans have obviously been very well aware of what freddie freeman is and what he brings every single night and he's a guy that wants to be out there every single day as well and if you're looking for what freeman did a year ago career highs with 38 homers 121 runs knocked in 113 more that he scored just turned in another 900 plus ops season an mvp caliber year for freddie freeman right in the middle of a very potent atlanta lineup and we'll talk about the elbow injury and some of the other things that come with that but i thought it was fascinating last year because Freddie Freeman was an all-star at first base yet again, second consecutive year for him, fourth overall all-star appearance. And at the age of 29, he was the oldest starting player on the field for the national league. I thought that was kind of fascinating to, you know, it's not old by any stretch of the imagination, but the baseball has very much always been a young man's game in a lot of ways. And we are in the middle of a youth movement that is seeing, I think a bit of a shift in the generations, if you will, that are really representing the game of baseball front and center.
1: Yes. You know, and I think it's big when you consider from a defensive side of things too, that we're finally seeing him getting his due, right? I mean, two years ago, you get the gold glove last year, did not get the gold glove, but still got the Wilson, uh, you know, best defensive player uh, in the game at first base. So I think we're seeing a a different level of appreciation. You know, certainly, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, him being an all-star starter again, he still continues to be the face of this franchise. He may not be the most exciting player uh, on this roster any longer but he's certainly the leader of this team and we know his place in the hierarchy of baseball right now.
0: Yeah, I think so. If you look at what the Braves did offensively last year, it was pretty impressive rolling all the way into the second half. And that of course, is when Freddie Freeman was dealing with the elbow injury that it created a bit of a problem for him, not only down the stretch, but of course in the playoffs as well. And ultimately led to off season surgery that not only did they find one bone spur that they knew was there, but two bone spurs and three bone fragments floating around in that right elbow Freeman telling us back at Chopfest that doctors basically told him, even if the Braves got through the division series, there's a very good chance that Freddie Freeman's season would have been over based on the level of pain he was in trying to play through the playoffs. Uh, Not the way that he wanted things to go. And of course, for the Braves, that series did not go the way that they had envisioned when they got back to October for the second consecutive year. Now, I say all that just to point out that Freddie Freeman is still going to want to be out there each and every day. And I know a lot of people make a lot about whether or not players are getting the rest and the maintenance days that they need to throughout the season. Where do you line up on that, Corey? I think it's important, but I don't necessarily see it as something that means automatically you've got to be giving Freddie Freeman 12 to 15 days off over the course of a season.
1: No, I mean, I don't think there's a magic number in terms of how many games he should be playing a year. I don't think it should be 162. I mean, I know we hear that from him every year that that's his goal, and that should be the guy's goal is to go out and play uh, every day. Two years ago, when the talk of rest became more of an issue and you heard Anthopoulos talk about it, Brian Snicker was pretty candid that, look, there are certain guys on this team that I go to and I tell them i getting a day off and they start lobbying to play. And we know that Freddie Freeman uh, was one of those guys in particular. Look, the 2018 postseason, he faded. You know, Obviously, he had a nice final game uh, against the Dodgers, but he had a 732 OPS, one extra base hit in that series. We know what happened last year with the elbow and certainly you, there's an easy theory to draw here that this guy's playing maybe a little bit too much. And, and if they need him to be peaking at the right time is 162 games, the best thing for Freddie Freeman. It's probably not. Uh, there's gotta be some way to get him some time off. Uh, you know, I know last year they they talked about it, but certainly the division after they've clinched, he got a couple days, uh, but the division didn't lend itself to him getting uh, maybe as much time as they wanted. But I think it, you've got to find a way uh, to get him a little bit more rest in 2020, especially when you start thinking about a guy uh, that's at the stage that he is in his career.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a balance to be struck as well. And for a manager, this is not the easy part of his job is that, you know, Brian Stitzker's got to figure out a way to win each and every night until you can salt away that division at the very least and assure yourself the spot that you're fighting for all season long. So it's kind of difficult to sit freddie freeman down for five six seven eight games whatever it is that may be the number that people want to throw around there are a lot more off days in the schedule now than there ever have been that's something that i think came along in the last cba that helps the players out just a little bit the season seems to start a little bit earlier it seems to lend itself at least with a handful of extra days sprinkled throughout the schedule to giving people a little bit of rest but you think about freddie freeman's all-star break that wasn't go home and rest up it was head to the All-Star game, take part in all those festivities. You're just not really finding the rest you need there. Even if you don't play a full game, you're still going through everything you need to to get yourself all cranked up. So it's a long season, not just the 162, but some of the other accolades that come with it, particularly in the All-Star break, rules out having the full rest and the opportunity to maybe recharge a little bit that might be nice in the middle of a season, though I kind of like the All-Star numbers he's putting up, so it's kind of hard to argue one way or another with that.
1: Yeah, but I I do wonder, so, you know, Freddie Gonzalez would always have his B-bombers, right? That's what he would call the crew that he would roll out on a a getaway game or, you know, a lot of times on a a Sunday day game. You know, you're going to get that different look on those days. Even when that happens, Freddie Freeman's still out there. There's just got to be an expectation that, okay, somebody else is getting the play at first base today. Maybe you get in, uh, you know, as a pinch hitter late, but just to set that expectation. I mean, I I know that the fans come and they want to see Freddie Freeman play. But something has to be done in order to make sure that he's peaking at the right time and he's got enough in the tank when it turns October.
0: Yeah, the weird thing about October is, though, that you can do all the preparations and all the things that you want to do, but clearly you're going to run into the the best teams and the best competition at that time of the year. And nobody really looks at the course of 162 and says, oh, you had a bad five games and thinks, well, that just ruined the season. But when it's the final five games that you have to play, quite obviously, the stakes are a little bit higher. So I don't know that there's anything that, as you go back to the history of baseball, is going to guarantee production. But it would be nice, uh, uh, very nice, as a matter of fact, uh, when it comes to Freeman or anybody else, to be able to help ensure that they're as healthy as they can be at that time, even if they're kind of going through that grind of the long season. I think the injury was just a really unfortunate thing for Freddie Freeman that he— had to deal with tried to gut his way through Uh, the methods in which he managed the pain probably not anything he wants to do again in his life and hopefully the surgery is taking care of that but uh, all told you mentioned the defensive prowess of freddie freeman winning a another accolade for that but a top 10 finish in the mvp he got his second career silver slugger award of course an all-star again a four-war season according to fan graphs and uh, that was only fourth best on the club because Ronald Acuna Jr., Josh Donaldson, and Ozzie Albies were all ahead of him in that regard, which might surprise some people to know. But it wouldn't surprise you if you knew how potent the Braves' offense was throughout the course of the season. So Freddie Freeman, a big part of that, of course. And I drop in all of those little resume builders, if you will, and looking into the 2020 season and expecting similar production from Freddie Freeman. But the Braves have him under contract for this year and next year, as we kind of opened up with. Do you expect Freddie Freeman to likely sign an extension before he gets to free agency, which would be after 2021?
1: Yeah, I mean, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we see something similar to what we saw with Cunha and Albies last year. We get something early on this season. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, they've already started discussing. I mean, you know, Freddie's been pretty candid about the fact that he wants to remain a Brave for the duration of his career. I think his relationship with Chipper Jones in particular is has, has made that a top priority for him. Um, I think he's going to look at the money with uh, Acuna and Albies and realize, you know, I don't have to get the max here uh, and, and be able to you know, to be able to, to state my worth and let's make this team competitive for the long haul. Maybe that Yelich extension is going to be a, a reflection of the kind of money that we see Freeman get but I would not be stunned uh, if it happens uh, at some point this season.
0: Yeah, I don't know that he'll get Christian Yelich money, but I would imagine that he will get more than well, both Well, I guess a I'm thinking AAV.
1: You know, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking more along that. that yeah, yeah, I'm and, not thinking he's going to get that. The total amount, I'm thinking more of the AAV that Yelich got. Yeah,
0: he's about a year and a half older than Christian Yelich, which might surprise some people as well. Freddie will turn 31 in middle September of 2020. So this will be his age 30 season for all intents and purposes. So not an old player by any stretch of the imagination, but this is that... A critical time in the middle of a career where you you know start to see those prime years turning into as you get into your 30s things change for just about everybody doesn't guarantee a giant production dip but at that point you start planning i think things a little bit differently than projecting them the way that you have for freddie for the first nine or ten years of his career long story short freddie freeman has done a marvelous job for the braves at first base each and every year he would like to see better results of course in october and that's what the Braves are aiming for. And they want to keep this window of contention open. And one of the things, Corey, you just hit on was the fact that when you're looking to have that big window, you want to have the core of your team locked in. And Ozzy Albies did sign an extension back in April of last year, and it's going to keep him around for another six years. It's a pretty amazing deal when you talk about annual average value. and No matter how you slice it, it would appear that the Braves got themselves a substantially team-friendly contract with Ozzie Albies, which has been covered and covered and covered some more and will continue to be discussed over the next half a dozen years or so. This is a guy I think that's going to be perennially, Corey, one of the most valuable players for the Braves. He did it last year, and he silenced a lot of doubters when it came to what he can do over the course of a full season. He put two great halves together.
1: He really did, and I think the AAV on Ozzie Albies is to the point where you just find different ways to be in awe of it. Yeah. Uh, and there's just so many different angles. I mean, I, you know, he's projected by Fangraph's steamer projections to be one of 34 players this year with a 4.0 F4 or higher. Among those players, only two, Matt Chapman and Juan Soto, both of whom are pre-arbitration year guys, are making less than Albie's million-dollar salary for 2020. Yeah. Dollars per war is like $8.8 million this season, uh, one war to, to get you that this year so. That puts him at a value of thirty five point three million dollars yeah. for the upcoming year. And they're paying him a million bucks. It's 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 absolutely unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Last year, Ozzy Albee slashed two ninety five, three fifty two, five hundred. Another forty plus double season. Another twenty plus homer season. He drove in eighty six runs. You know he can steal some bases. Fifteen of those as well. As I mentioned, his F WAR last year four point six. Uh, which was fourth among all major league players who qualified as second baseman but the best among those who played at least 100 games at the position so other guys qualifying as second baseman Cattell Marte DJ LeMayhew and Max Muncy all of which are great players but when you think about the guy that's at second base every single night win lose or draw for the Braves that just tells you that Ozzie Albies has a very valid claim as being I think, the best second baseman in the National
1: League. Marte is going to largely get time at second this year with uh, the acquisitions the Diamondbacks have made. So I think that's going to be an interesting debate as the season goes yeah. on. You know, certainly the Braves fans got behind him uh, last year and trying to push him into the All-Star game didn't happen. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's going to be a fun debate this year, uh, you know, with, with Marte uh, getting a ton of time at that spot.
0: Yeah, if you're wondering about Ozzie Albies and his playing time at second base, mention those names. Of course, Cattell Marte had a great season, a breakout season for the Arizona Diamondbacks, MVP consideration for him as well. Ozzie Albies played the most innings at the position, just four errors for him on the year, fewest by a qualified second baseman, and all his advanced fielding numbers were routinely among the top five as well. So a gold glove case, very good offensive season, very good defensive season, and Ozzie Albies showed up and showed out in the division series as well so there's an awful lot to like about this kid and as we've seen the last couple of years his energy this dynamic that he has with Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean the best I would say Corey is still yet to come with both of these guys and you have to be pretty excited to have him around under contract for the next six seven years in the case of Albies and almost the next decade in the case of Acuna.
1: I want to see this season from all of these. I want 2020 from him. And, and I think this is really le- legitimate. You think about 24 home runs each of the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. He had 14 steals in 18, 15 last year. I mean, when you, when you think about NL second baseman, right. Since 2008, Brandon Phillips, Chase Utley, Gene Segura are the only guys in the national league since 2008 second baseman to get 2020 seasons. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is, I think to me, that feels like the next evolution of him you know, is, is just is utilizing that speed a little bit more. We know the power's there. Um, you know, certainly, you know, you, you want to see him, you know, making havoc on the base pass. And I, I think that's that's the next step in, in Ozzie Albies to me.
0: Well, Ozzie Albies is the guy that's going to be holding down that right side of the infield along with Freddie Friedman. But as you move over to the other middle infield spot, Dansby Swanson's been the guy for the last few years, but we've still been waiting for that breakout-type season from Dansby. And just, Corey, as it seemed like he was putting it all together last year, another injury derailed him and what could have been i think the season that finally put him on the map and as you look at what happened after the all-star break missing significant time due to a heel injury you may not be very impressed with his final line which was hitting about 250 325 on base 422 slugging he did have 26 doubles and 17 bombs in only 127 games those are both i think very good numbers for a middle infielder in general but it was that tail of two halves for swanson just 194 in his final 27 games had a nice division series which was great to see and as you and i have noticed over the last few years if there's a big moment for the braves there aren't too many other guys that you'd like to have up there other than dansby swanson but i wonder if this is kind of the make or break year for the braves to really decide not what is the precedent shortstop but perhaps how they're going to start charting their future at that position
1: yeah, I mean, I, I do think a little bit. You know, certainly, I heard you know John Paul Morosi on MLB Network uh, radio this morning saying that he believes Francisco Lindor is going to be in a different uniform mm-hmm. come August first by the trade deadline. Uh, he thinks the Braves are one of the teams that could be uh, looking at him to bring him into the fold, and, and certainly that he's he would be pushing uh, Dansby Swanson away for playing time. Yeah. But I think the thing with Dansby is we've seen it in spurts, but we haven't seen it in a full season so far. We've seen six hundred plus at bats of him. Uh, with a 274, 344, 445 slash line, 385 uh, weighted on base average, but we've not seen it across the complete season. So I think that's the thing with him is being able to have that level of production and being able to have a for duration of a campaign. I mean, you mentioned uh, what we saw to him, uh, you know, in the postseason. you know, uh, had a 421 OBP, 556 slugging, seven hits. We've seen it, but we need to see it for the entirety of the year. I think if he's performing at that level, And whether or not you want to say, okay, let's, the the Braves, it's just, you can pass on a guy like Lindor. I think that gives you pause when you're not giving up assets and you can have that kind of production at that spot. So I think I've been somebody who's believed in him because when you talk to him, the guy talks the talk. I mean, he certainly, he has that mindset, you know, he has that approach. He wants to be, as you mentioned, in those moments. It just has to start playing itself out consistently on the field.
0: I mean, it seems like all the things are there, like the tangible skills in addition to having offensively a a pretty good first half last year. Defensively, he's come on the last couple of years as well when really you go back and look at that rookie season and you can question like, how much time did he spend in the minors? Did he need more? Did the Braves rush him? Were they just kind of looking for something to start turning the corner in the rebuild when they brought him up in 2016? He had that little initial success down the stretch there, but at 2017, I think... That didn't take a lot out of Dansby Swanson in the negative way but I think it forced him to really look inside himself because for the first time probably going all the way back to his amateur days you know he was not one of the best players on the field and I think that all the way through Vanderbilt and you know even down through the minors as well you always knew Dansby Swanson was going to be one of those guys his name was called frequently but I think Major League Baseball and the adjustment it takes for young players and everybody handles it differently that's something that took Dansby Swanson a little while to really get I think locked in and I hate that it was another injury last year that seemed to take away the steam that he had that he was building in that first half when you saw him using all fields he was driving home runs out to right and right center which I think is a wonderful thing to see because he was using the entire field and that I think impressed a lot of people watching how his approach and his execution at the plate his plan at the plate really has improved incrementally each and every year so again to say it for the third or fourth time already in this podcast. Shame to see that an injury was something that took him off the field and took that away from the Braves.
1: The year before, you think about Chicago when he hurt his wrist. Yeah, he just it's know, the just playoffs the same. You mentioned it. The first year he hits fifteen percent above league average during that stint. We see nearly you know one hundred and fifty plate appearances. He's not hit uh, above uh, at league average uh, in any of the three seasons since. So it, it does feel like a big season for him. Certainly everything is set up for Dansby Swanson to have success. We've seen it again in spurts. Uh, let's just see uh, what an entire campaign, hopefully a healthy campaign, brings for him.
0: Yeah, in 2019, not only the success in the first half, but when the Braves shuffled their lineup around, Dansby Swanson was in the two spot for a while, posting an 800 OPS, belting 12 home runs and 65 starts before the heel injury. As we look at this year for him, I don't think he's going to get very many starts at the top or near the top of the Braves' order just given the success of obviously Acuna at leadoff, but Ozzy Albee is in the second place of the order. If you had to throw on your manager's cap for a moment, where do you think Dansby Swanson fits in in the Braves lineup?
1: I'm probably putting him six or seven. And okay. It's funny because I you know, I remember uh, the winter meetings in D.C. We were all sitting in there with John Hart and John Coppola, and they and they told us Dansby Swanson is a number two hitter. That's where we think he's going to be. We think you can slot him in there for years to come. And, yeah. and in a different lineup, maybe that's the case, but I think, When you consider where this team is, you know, if you put Darno behind uh, Marcelo Zuna, you know, maybe he's right in that spot there. You know, maybe you can hit him six, seven, maybe even far down as eight. But I think that's probably the, the window that I'm putting Swanson in.
0: I think that that's a pretty fair place. I mean, the sixth spot would be a place that I think that I would look for him, especially on days Tyler Flowers is catching. I think Flowers is going to hit down toward the bottom of the order, if not eighth. But then you have to wonder, well, is it going to be Camargo or Riley, which we're going to get into in just a moment mm-hmm. as those two men are battling for the third base spot. But he also Ender Enciarte if he's starting in the outfield, if Nick Markakis or Adam Duvall is starting. I think that the Braves lineup will be pretty static one through four, but I think there may be a lot of mix and match in the 5-8 through eight spot just because they've got some different players with different skills and different abilities. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And if I'm a Dansby Swanson in particular – I would just like seeing my name penciled in there each and every day and be healthy and have a consistent season.
1: Yeah, I don't think Dan's will complain if he's hitting ninth just so long as he gets north of 150 games this year.
0: No, I think he'd be very happy about that. Well, let's slide over to the hot corner where it is Johan Camargo and Austin Riley who are battling it out. Both men putting up a pretty good spring over the first couple of weeks of exhibition games and not a lot separating the two, I don't think, in terms of you know what they are trying to come from in 2019 with some inconsistency for both i think that for camargo it was probably more humbling than anything for a guy like austin riley who's at the age of 22 this was his first taste of the big leagues there was going to be some success there was going to be a little bit of failure and now it's all about going home and making those adjustments but let's start with camargo Corey, 26 years of age this year already carved out a spot as the braves everyday third baseman back in 2018 but when josh Donaldson came in That changed the dynamic of not just the lineup, but also the Atlanta infield. And Johan Camargo, super utility guy, was a story that did not go very well. And even when he did have some success, it was an injury that ended his season as well. So I kind of look at 2019 in a lot of aspects like a lost year for Johan Camargo. What do you think?
1: I would agree with that. You know, And I think it's, it's not a secret that he just carried himself differently in 2019. He appeared to be heavier. Yeah. You know, he just didn't have that same swagger to him, you know. And certainly started. he showed, you know, after Jose Batista uh, was let go, that he could handle the job on an everyday basis. And, you know, I think from that end of it, I mean, you have to feel like what more could this guy have, have done? I mean, you look back to when we actually saw him get that full run of time. I mean, he had 7.1 defensive runs above average, was the seventh overall at the position, second in the National League, only to Nolan Arenado. Yeah. So we've seen – extreme defense from this guy, and if you're getting an above-average bat from him, I know that there's the power component with Austin Riley, but to me, that defensive side of it, I mean, in his defense, we've not seen Riley get that opportunity in an actual Major League Baseball game, but the defense has been so good from Camargo, and we've heard it from so many different people, that he is the best defender in the system in the infield that's hard to pass up if you can give that consistent playing time
0: yeah see I don't necessarily think I've heard he's the best defender in the system but more so the best infield arm and when he moved to third base I do think that that is easily his best defensive position and the metrics and the things that you had mentioned really will bear that out he's been a very good third baseman defensively in the time that he's gotten there Uh, obviously Josh Donaldson was a pretty darn good defensive third baseman as well but I think it's offensively for either one of these guys it's going to keep them on the field on a regular basis. Camargo went from having a 3.3 WAR according to FanGraphs in 2018 to a negative 0.5 in 2019, uh, easily the Braves least valuable hitter with a slash line that was just abysmal across 98 games at 233 279 384 and his OPS+ plus, 67 so that clearly is not going to earn you a whole lot of playing time if that's going to be a number that you put up not for a week or two not for a month but for the entirety of a season and that includes that torrid couple of weeks he had before he fouled the ball off his shin and suffered the fracture that ended his season i mean this was a really tough year for camargo but he has to his credit really worked hard in the offseason he's trimmed himself down i think that he would win the best shape of his life award for the praise for spring training (laughs) of 2020 and we can laugh at it but He needed to do that because if he came back looking a little heavy and being lethargic in the field again, Austin Riley might not just win the third base job. He might lap Johan Camargo with the way that this thing could play out had he not done what he did this winter. I think he sensed the urgency of the opportunity that's in front of him.
1: I think you're absolutely right. But I wonder if he had hit 16% above league average in 2019, would this even be a real contest? It might be. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he appeared to be unmotivated In 2019 after Josh Donaldson's arrival and you know, they've shuffled him around, you know, certainly you mentioned the the injury as well, but this is a fun race and it's not all that frequent when you have a team that is this good. That's got two straight division titles and you're talking about this kind of a battle at a key position. So it's been fascinating to watch and there's a lot to like about both these guys. But before we even get into the other one, I I roll with Camargo on this. I think, I think to me, the defense is just too good.
0: Yeah. I'm going to get on the other side of this one just so that we don't have a podcast. It's predictable and boring for that matter. (laughs) But I just, I love what I have seen from the first time I saw Austin Riley in the minor leagues down in Rome to the times that I've seen him just grow through the organization and seem to get better or make that adjustment to each and every challenge that he's had at each and every level. And Watching him last year explode onto the scene, I mean, we knew that he wasn't going to hit 350 with 50 home runs for the rest of the year. That just wasn't going to be sustainable. But, you know, that first 30 games that he was up in the big leagues, I mean, slugging almost 630, 11 homers, 32 runs knocked in, hitting right around 300, you know, in that first month, that gave you a taste of what Austin Riley can be. But he's going to have to adjust to the adjustments that have been made to him. And the biggest thing I think was figuring out a way to cut down that strikeout rate because he struck out 108 times in 80 games last year with Atlanta and he may not be the defender that Johan Camargo is but I think Austin Riley might be a little bit better around the bag at third base than people give him credit for and he should get credit for the fact that he has worked very diligently each and every year to become better at that because he knows that that's how he's going to stick in the major leagues particularly with a national league club he better be ready to play a position each and every night and do it well
1: I need him to be able to consistently hit the slider, though. I mean, you look at last year, he hit four homers, had two doubles against the pitch, 28 strikeouts. And, you know, looking on on Brooks Baseball, shows 43.1% whiff rate against the pitch. Yeah, There was only eight players that saw a higher percentage of sliders than Riley did. So, you know, certainly he has to show that he can do that. And there's enough there to like to say, okay, think about him as a 26-man roster spot if he's not at third base. I just don't know, and I wrote about this on Talking Chop last week, if he doesn't get the third base job, is the best thing for him to sit on a bench and not no. see major league sliders? But is he going to see major league sliders at the in the minors? No, he's not. How are you going to fix the problem? And this is the same thing Dansby Swanson went through this too, remember? Yeah. How are you going to get better against a pitch that you struggle so much against if you're not seeing it? being thrown by major league pitchers
0: i mean that's my thing is like you have to play these guys and it's easier to do when it's a rebuild and you may only win 70 75 games in a year but now you're looking at back-to-back division titles the expectation of getting to october and not only that but not, and not just from a fan base perspective which is 100 understandable but yeah, these guys want to get to the playoffs and win they want to advance they want to make that run to the world series which had freddie freeman marching into northport saying hey it's world series or bust for us this year that's the attitude that you want to hear But And while I think a lot of people would have loved to have seen Josh Donaldson come back for the four, five-year deal that he got with Minnesota, I don't think that's exactly what the Braves were going to approach. I think if they could have gotten him for three years, there's a better chance that that would have happened if they could have come to terms with that. But when Josh Donaldson walked and Marcelo Zuna signed the deal to come in and become the club's left fielder, not only did that change the dynamic of what was going on at the third base battle because you didn't have a regular third baseman anymore, It also closed off left field to Austin Riley as well, if you think about it, which is another aspect of me thinking, if your versatility is you're a third baseman primarily, you can play left field and first base, the Braves aren't really clamoring for a backup left fielder and first baseman beyond what they've already got on their roster. So I almost feel like you have to get Austin Riley regular at bat somewhere. I would prefer it to be in Atlanta, at least for a while. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And maybe you can option him back down. But if you're not going to play him every day, and he's going to be getting 3-5-10 to five to at-bats at most during a week, I just don't think it serves him well at all to be sitting on the bench because you're not facing, as you mentioned, the live pitching that you said he needs to. Even if the AAA pitching is not big league pitching, I'd rather him be having the opportunity at 22 years old to be playing every day.
1: Feels like we've been talking about Austin Riley forever. I don't mean on this podcast. I just mean in general, you know, in terms of since he was drafted, you know, everybody kind of falls in love with the kids from quote-unquote Braves country, but you mentioned it. You got to find a way to get him consistent abs. Um, you know, maybe if we knew that there was a plan where you were going to be able to move him around and he could be in left field one day, and you're going to get Freeman those mm-hmm. those getaway days or the Sunday day games off, and that he can get opportunities there. It just doesn't feel. I mean, Alexei Thompkins told us tonight they signed Marcelo Zuna. We have two everyday outfielders, Ronald Acuna Jr. Mm-hmm. and Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, and you've got to find a place to use Adam Duvall. You've got to find a place for Charlie Culberson. And has very. I mean, there's just so many pieces. It's Nick hard Markekes. to find a way for Austin Riley to get on consistent A-Bs.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the guys you mentioned, as I just said, Nick Marcakis is another guy that is not guaranteed a yep. starting spot anymore because I think ideally, and we'll get to the outfield another time, the alignments that you have out there, that place is full. So I guess getting back to Austin Riley, you don't really have the opportunity of just parking him over in left field unless something catastrophic happens. You want Marcelo Zuna out there 150-plus times, healthy and hopefully producing the way that he has over the course of his career. But As we round out this third-base battle, and I know there's still time in spring training for this thing to play out, I think both men have looked good. Uh, Some of the highlights I've seen of Riley, some of the home runs uh, that he's hit or the balls that he has struck well, I should say. uh, He seems to be handling off-speed pitches just fine thus far. It is spring training. So I'm not necessarily just looking at the numbers with these two guys, but I want to see consistent quality of bats, hard contact. Uh, The other day, he drew a walk, He got down 0-2 and worked himself, I believe, an eight-pitch-free pass. That's another thing for Austin Riley. His walk percentage last year, 297 plate appearances in Atlanta, 5.4% walk rate. That is probably not going to play well when you swing and miss as much as he does.
1: You know, and you think about consistent ADs for him. If only there was a way where the pitcher didn't have to bat and somebody else could bat his place.
0: Yeah, I mean, that would be very helpful. I mean, and before Bryce Ball arrives in a few years, because that was the early buzz of spring training is, hey, this kid is big and impressive and an awful lot of fun to think about having a DH in Atlanta. But until that collective bargaining agreement comes out and we determine what the uh, future of the DH is in both leagues, not just the American League, I don't think there's much we can do about that. But if you're rolling Camargo, I'm going to roll Austin Riley with this. And one of the two of us will be right. right. But I think that before it's all said and done, before 2020 has come to pass, I think both men could end up being required to make some contributions for the Braves to get where they need to get, to get to where they want to get by the end of the year.
1: It's a fun derby, man. You know, this fun that you're having this kind of debate over two fun players to watch, two good personalities. I mean, it's stunning to think. I mean, you mentioned it back when you're losing 90 games, these guys get all kinds of opportunities. Yeah. With this kind of a battle at this state of a team, is it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, it
0: definitely is. So that's what's going on among guys who may be starting every day in the Braves infield. Let's take a quick look at the reserves. Danny Echevarria re-signed with Atlanta one year, $1 million, a major league contract. So it looks like he is going to be, by default, the Braves, or at least one of the Braves reserve infielders. Can play both middle infield spots, can play some third if you need him to as well. Uh, this is a guy that I think the Braves just – They really struck gold when they signed him. He was just kind of cut loose by the Mets, not having a very good year. All of a sudden, not only was Dansby Swanson hurt, but Johan Camargo was demoted to AAA. Charlie Culberson was hurt in the second half as well, so he was no longer a factor in shortstop. The Braves needed somebody to step in there and play every day, and that's exactly what Echeverria did for a while. 328 with an OPS over 1,000. Four home runs, 15 runs knocked in, 14 runs scored in the 24 games down the stretch for Echeverria. Among all of the things that I've seen happen for the Braves of just unheralded or unexpected contributions, the Edge Area acquisition would certainly make my top five, maybe might be my top of the unsung heroes that helped the Braves out in 2019.
1: Yeah, what a deft move for Manthapos. I mean, clearly he had no way of knowing that Dansby Swanson wasn't going to be available, that Charlie Culberson was going to get hit in the face of the baseball and be unavailable. But, you know, that's a very I mean, he was he thanks God the Mets let him go and Amazing. fell into the Braves lap. And uh, he was phenomenal. I mean, they couldn't have asked for a better situation. I mean, I think we talked about this during the postseason series last year. But what would they have even done if they didn't have him? We have, have seen kasmar have been up. I mean, God, what would they Who have knows? even thought about doing if, if they wouldn't have had? Echevarria to lean on last postseason
0: yeah honestly who knows because the infield depth for the Braves that might have been something that you would have seen because at the point where Camargo was done for the year with an injury Dansby was back he was playing every day but as far as reserves were concerned you were running pretty thin with both Culberson and Camargo out for the remainder of the season so that opened the door for Echevarria who I mentioned really productive in his month with the Braves last year enough so that the Braves would bring bringing back but let's keep in mind Corey this is a guy with a a sub 650 career OPS, so it's not like the Braves are expecting him to come in and do his best Josh Donaldson impression again and it'd be a guy that's going to lock down a lot of playing time. But I do think it was a good move to bring him back, and I do think it helps because they were able to hedge that with another guy that you mentioned, which is Charlie Culberson. Who the Braves they non-tendered him, but they did sign him to a minor league deal. He's fighting for his spot back on the forty-man again. Uh, do you see Charlie Culberson as having a path to the twenty-six-man roster, or is it's going to be one of those things that's going to come down to a multitude of decisions, including if the Braves decide they're going to carry five outfielders. Because right now, wow. that's what they got.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, Riley's fate seems to be tied with his too. I mean, yeah. if you want to keep Riley at the major league level, you certainly can't keep Charlie Culberson there as well. So, you know, we know what he's meant to this fan base in terms of the clutch play. And and certainly, you know, he's lived up to uh, to those big moments as well. Um You know, he told me he was really uh, obviously happy to be back here. You know, local guy. He didn't want to have to uproot and go to another team. It's tough, man. It's tough to find an easy path for him. The the Echeveria thing just felt like it was a roadblock for him. And I guess it's just, and you mentioned the the mass amount of outfielders that they have. This thing's going to be tough for Culberson. I think the versatility there is such a big factor for him, but it's certainly tough to find. Uh, pass for Culberson uh, to make that opening day roster as much as uh, the fan base loves him
0: yeah and I do think it's something that he may not make the opening day roster but in signing with the Braves I mean from my understanding the conversation that was had when you sign a deal like that if you're Charlie Culberson he didn't go around trying to find a big league offer somewhere else and waiting all the way down until the day of spring training to figure it out I mean he signed back with Atlanta I think understanding and from a family side of things that if he ended up playing in Gwinnett, there could be a lot worse places to be playing you know, minor league baseball at that time, but clearly that's not what he wants to settle for. So he's going to have to show up in spring training in a way that I think differentiates him from some of the other options that are fighting there. So I think that number one, Echeverria coming back is probably his biggest competition for being that number one reserve infielder. I think that's a mantle that's going to be hard for him to earn back immediately because Not just the the injury last year, which was horrifying, and which I think we're all thankful that Charlie Culberson is coming back from, but he had been in a bit of a slump in the second half. He got a run at shortstop as well with Dansby Swanson out. It wasn't particularly great. Obviously, we've covered Camargo. wasn't particularly great. Echeveria, I think, just comes in with a lot of momentum in terms of that. And I don't think that the Braves are going to hang everything on. Let's look at the spring training numbers and decide who the best hitter is, because that's not a great way to evaluate talent in the spring. But Long story short, beyond Culberson and beyond Echeverria, Jan Hervis Salarte is a guy that has some versatility, but I think he's bound for Gwinnett. Same for Pete Cosma. Yonder Alonso is a first baseman, so that's not a guy you're really looking at. And some of the other guys is Sean Kasmars, who's been in Gwinnett for quite some time. He's been an organizational guy. It's a lot to be said for that, but not a clear spot on the 40 man for him, obviously. And some guys like Jack Lopez, Riley Unroe, These are guys that are depth signings. They're organizational players. And they're not going to be really factoring in. So the Braves are going to have some really interesting decisions to make when it comes down to 26th man. And to circle back to third base again, Brian Snitker did say, are we really serving either or of the guys that don't get the starting job being either Camargo or Riley to not have them getting at bats every day, meaning that a minor league assignment might just be the reality for the guy that doesn't make it. But I find that hard to believe when it comes to Camargo, where do you weigh in on that part of this whole equation when it comes to roster building and construction?
1: Think about the decision. If Camargo gets a starting job, the decision is I can have Austin Riley get a couple days a week and be a really nice bench bat for me, or I have the versatility of Charlie Culberson, who's shown power at times. Yeah. Where do you go? I mean, it's I don't envy the decision that, that Brian Snicker and Alex mm-hmm. Anthopolis are going to have to make on this. I mean, it's extremely tough. I mean, it's it's funny with Culberson. You know, if you watch that behind the Braves then he tells – Asks his uh, his son, you know his favorite position, and he Charlie says, "Well, his is shortstop." So um, we know uh, the the results there weren't pretty last year. Yeah. But again, I think I would be surprised if he opens up in Gwinnett. I I, I see a lot of reasons to keep that Riley bat around. Yeah. But again, I just don't. You mentioned him with Snickers comments, I just don't know that it serves him. Uh, to just have him kind of wasting away uh, not getting consistent playing time it's unfortunate
0: and i'll mention one more fact that might just make the presence of austin riley a little bit redundant in terms of a nice bench bat with some power the braves also have adam duvall so there is i was gonna
1: say uh, yeah
0: yeah i mean the depth there is great i mean you love having the depth i'm much happier sitting here talking about the names we're talking about than trying to figure out in years past you know where are you going to put, you know, the Ryan Flaherty or whoever it is that you're picking up the last week of spring training just to round out your 25. The Braves aren't in that position, not to say that they couldn't go get somebody, but right now they have to feel good about the options they have. And I think this has been a pretty in-depth look at what's going on around the Atlanta infield. So, Corey, you'll be Team Camargo. I will be the captain of Team Riley. And we'll see exactly who might be at the third base position and in the opening day lineup uh, before
1: too long. Can I just say that at the end of the 2018 season, when they got knocked out, Alex Anthopoulos, when he asked what the biggest difference was between the Braves and the Dodgers, Mm -hmm. he said depth. And I think you can look at this infield and find one major area where they have finally caught up in every regard in terms of that depth. It is everywhere right now in this infield.
0: Yeah, you have to love that. And speaking of depth, you went in-depth on the Braves for your book, Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout. An updated edition of that is out now. Tell the folks where they can get it and a little bit about the book, and just in case they did not pick it up the first time around.
1: It's out now. You can find it at Barnes & Noble, Books a Million. Uh, if you go to those websites, you can find out whether they have it a, a store near you. Uh, you can get it on Amazon getting some good reviews. Freddie Freeman's dad approves uh, a nice big chapter on Freddie in this one. So uh, getting some good feedback so far. So go and check it out. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on. it.
0: All right. So make sure you're uh, checking out Corey's book and make sure you follow him on Twitter as well. You can find him at Corey J McCartney, and he also has some regular contributions to talking chops. So be sure to follow all of those things and follow Corey's work. And of course, Corey will follow up on this one with a podcast on the Atlanta Braves outfield and we'll wrap up this series, but it's been great to chat with you again and look forward to doing it again the next time.
1: Thanks Grant.
0: Well that'll wrap us up for episode four of this five-part Braves positional preview series on the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Appreciate all the subscriptions, the shares, the ratings, and the reviews. Keep them coming. Those certainly help out the show each and every week and also be sure you're connected with us on social media on Twitter at From the Diamond underscores where you can find the show. I am at Grant McCauley and Corey is at Corey J. McCartney. You can find the show on Instagram at FromTheDiamond with no underscore on the end. You can also find me on Instagram at Grant McCauley. Everything else, including every episode of the show, can be found at FromTheDiamond.com, including this Braves Positional Preview Series, the podcast, and the written version. And next up, we'll round out this five-part series with a look at the Braves outfield. Once again, my thanks to Corey McCartney for talking about the Braves infield. We'll wrap this series up on the next episode of From the Diamond. So for Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.